0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Generation Digital Workforce. This is Zena coming at you from Austin, Texas.
1: I'm pleased this week to bring to you our second episode in a series called Landing Your Dream Job in Intelligent Automation with the women of RPA. Today we're joined by Carrie Williams who is our host, Ozma Syed from Talent Take, Robin Coates from Blue Prism, as well as Matt June Bloomfield also from Blue Prism. And let's jump in to this episode of Landing Your Dream Job in Intelligent Automation.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to those who have joined us for the second webinar of the series, Landing Your Dream Job in Intelligent Automation. My name is Carrie Williams, and I'll be your host for the session. Um, so I'm really excited today to be joined by a fantastic panel. Uh, we have Asma Sayed CEO of Talent Tank, Robin Coates, head of screen uh, now, Is this your team at Blue Prism, and Matt June Bloomfield, head of RPA at Blue Prism? So diversity and inclusion is rightly so at the top of the agenda for most organisations these days. Uh, A study by McKinsey Global Institute found that if employee roles were if female roles were identical to men's, as much as twenty eight trillion dollars would be added to the global economy by GDP by twenty twenty five. However, in a survey conducted by tech City uk it reported that 36% of male respondents look to work in the technology sector in the future, whereas only 13% of female respondents said that they would aspire to take up a career in technology. So what can we as hiring managers and employers do to help? Uh, the recruitment process is where a lot of this can be addressed. Without further delay, I'd like to hand over to our panelists for their
0: introductions. Um, Asma, over to you. Um, the um, so yes, everyone's. I'm Asma, and the founder and CEO of the company called Talent Tank. We're a people-focused business, um, with delivering bespoke talent services to specifically the tech industry, and one of our main service arms is tech recruitment so being part of this chat is is quite appropriate especially from a south african context we have our unique challenges um we our sister company cogent specifically delivers solutions in intelligent automation across africa so we work quite closely on the talent front it's been quite interesting to see some of the unique challenges they experience in the talent pool available to them in south africa and how diverse that is so i hope to to be able to cover some of those interesting insights that we've learned through working with with cogent so in the south african context we've been working really hard at corroding eroding the diversity challenges we have as a country we've got a history that everyone is quite aware of in terms of diversity but specifically around gender diversity so despite all the hard work that's gone into it and it being in the spotlight all the time in our news current affairs we still haven't made enough headway in that area. 23% of women are represented in the tech space in South Africa in terms of workforce and that is very much in line with global trends as well. So um I love that this conversation is happening across various continents, um, that we're having it across um, America and the UK and South Africa, which says that it's not a unique South African problem. It's a problem we experience everywhere. And the great thing is that cultures and contexts are represented, which means we get to explore unique solutions to very same problems. So thank you, Carrie, Matt. and Robin for having me today. And I really look forward to digging into the topic.
2: Thank you, Asma. Robin, over to you.
3: Absolutely. So um, I have been in the HR and recruiting industry now for about 20 years. Kind of hate to say that, but, you know, that's what it is. Um, (laughs) um, And, you know, my background consists of working at um, a variety of different companies such as Obviously, here at Blue Prism, I've been here for about six months and super excited, um, but Oracle and Rackspace and other startup companies as well. Um, That being said, um, one of the really great initiatives or one of the reasons why I was attracted to Blue Prism is the fact that it had a strong for me, it was WERPA, right? Just going on, doing the research, and really trying to find out um, the different initiatives that Blue Prism had. So, I am attracted to diverse organizations. That being said, we've had the ability now to start up a great DNI um, program, right? And Werpa was the ones basically leading the way for that. They kind of opened the door, um, and now we're excited. Matt's on the program; he's started his own program, and so is Carrie um, and Werpa. So, that being said, excited to be a part of this panel today, and um, thanks for having me. Thank you, Robin.
2: And last but not least.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Matt Juden-Bloomfield, and I'm head of automation here at Blue Prism. Um, So what does that mean? Well, um, I look after our internal automation team. So we basically use Blue Prism software in order to make the business more efficient. Um, But as Robin sort of alluded to, I also do a couple of other things. So um, I also set up and lead our CSR program called Blue Prism for Good, which basically looks to help use our scale as a business um, in order to give back and to do some good. So we have um, a programme whereby we offer discounted licences to um, charities and not-for-profits. We also fundraise. So last year we donated nearly £200,000 to charity. um, And we also look to sort of try and educate the the next generation of workers so you know that's where diversity is a huge importance Um, and so we recently actually just sponsored the EY smart futures program which basically brings underprivileged young people in on paid work experience to help them get some sort of tangible skills in order to go out and you know get some great jobs and uh, also provide them with mentorship so for many of them that was the first experience they'd ever had Um, I also look after our Pride ERG, um, which is essentially the internal community for um, any LGBTQ plus people within Blue Prism. It's very new. Um, we've we've so far only done a Pride party online <laughs> um, and it was great fun. We had sort of Gloria Gaynor playing in the background. Um, and, but, you know, the aim is that ultimately we want to sort of expand it out and Werper is our is our guiding star. Um, I guess one of the reasons why I got invited here today is that as the head of automation, I had to set up and hire our automation team. And so I can provide you some insights um, to what that sort of looks like. Um, But one of the key things from my perspective was that we needed to have as diverse a team as possible because, I'm fully acutely aware that, you know, having people from the same background with the same worldview is only going to provide one thing, which is the same outcome. Uh, And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. Um, There's so many different perspectives and views that you could take on board. And, you know, I think having people to come and challenge the status quo, particularly when you don't really, you know, you don't know necessarily what the right thing is to do. I think it's it's definitely the right thing. So I'm a big proponent and I'm glad to be invited today. So thank you, Gary
2: great thank you all so much and now that we've got to know our panelists a little better um we would like to start off with the the Q&A so uh, a call to action for uh, everybody in the audience if you would like to start submitting your questions um on on glitter uh, and the way that it works is that it's it's by voting so um make sure that you're on the Q&A section and that you upvote the the questions that you would like answered the most and that's how we will be answering and asking the questions. Um, So I can see that we've had a couple of questions in already and I will just kick start with the first one which is um, do gender norms apply to job descriptions and guys feel free to jump in and ask this.
3: Sure. Um, so do gender norms apply to job descriptions? Um, you know, that's a great question. And what we're finding is that job descriptions are key in attracting, um, diverse talent. We want to make sure that job descriptions are really, um, gender neutral. And that's one of the things that uh, Blue Prism is working on right now, because certain words such as strong or competitive can actually put off um, certain diverse talent. And so uh, we're doing an exercise right now where we we're actually reviewing all of our job descriptions to make sure that the correct wording um, is there to attract the right talent. So absolutely, um, it is important. Goodness, back in I say this. 30 years ago, right, IBM launched a campaign that said, hey, men, come work for us. And so, and that was in IT, right? And unfortunately, that kind of set the tone for IT. And now we, you know, a lot of tech companies are trying to focus on, okay, how do we reshape um, IT? How do we focus, And, and you start with the job descriptions and making sure that they're gender neutral.
0: Yeah, I think um, often there are, certain job, there are certain job roles. The person writing them immediately assumes that the person filling the role will be a man or a woman, for example. So there are really biases when you're writing the job description. So you write them in a language that attracts a specific gender group. I think I also find in the tech space that a lot of acronyms are used. So massive acrony- acronyms and we all know in the tech space um, acronyms are everywhere and there's so many of them and they can very easily dissuade certain gender groups from applying for a job because they don't have enough experience in that industry to really know what those acronyms are. So I think that there really needs to be a checking that happens before your job descriptions have been written and it's probably even when that role is when there's a discussion around creation of that role uh, checking to ensure that there isn't a, a predetermination around what you imagine, who you imagine, for for that
1: role. I'm gonna slightly disagree. I, I do totally agree that job descriptions need to be gender sort of agnostic and sort of make sure that they're able to attract anyone of any gender. I think just from my own personal perspective when I go and look at a company the job description is one key element but I also think that it's about like what the company displays in terms of its culture and it's inclusivity across the board, you know, so looking at, you know, who's on the board, um, what sort of imagery have you got on your website? And, um, you know, what programs do you have that run across your business? I I think you can't just look at it in isolation. I think it's got to be the whole package. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting stuff,
3: guys. Um,
2: And A little bit related to that, we've had a question come in um, relating to job descriptions, actually. And uh, the question is, uh, I always think I, I always think job descriptions are a bit scary and feel that I fall short of the requirements outlined. And I would love some thoughts and advice on 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 that.
1: Back yourself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
0: yes.
1: That would be my main piece of advice. Like we've had, I've had people apply who had literally no rele- like relevance in their previous experience. And I was like, but they've shown great tenacity. They, you know, yeah. got great people skills, great project management skills. You know, there's so much tangential stuff that could actually be utilized that sometimes you've got to just like look between the lines and you don't really know what they're looking for. So just apply would be my advice.
3: Um, and, and- my advice would also be, you know, kind of tied to resumes would be, it's okay to have more than one resume based on the position that you're applying for, right? So if you're interested in say like a project manager um, experience and you have that experience, it's okay to have a resume that kind of caters towards your project management experience. Because as you know, people have a variety of different skills and you can't put it all in one resume. So, you know, some people may have three, four or five different resumes. And that's okay because whenever you're applying, the recruiter typically only looks at a resume maybe for a minute. So if you can actually customize a resume to meet that job description because you have that skill set, I would definitely recommend you do that and just kind of keep four or five resumes that, you know, in your background to make it a little bit easier whenever you go to apply
0: yeah and Curry, I think it was quite the the stuff that you mentioned earlier that um, men would apply if they made sixty percent of the criteria is quite um, it's quite startling actually. I think the the lesson out of that is women need to be as brave in in applying for jobs that they think they don't meet the criteria for. Often they they're, they're items in a in a job description that say eight to ten years of experience. and I can promise you, more often than not, the employer is going to employ somebody outside of that criteria anyway. So it is about backing yourself and taking the leap and as well as shaping your CV for the position. So don't just have a stock, stock standard CV that you send off to a bunch of positions. Shape it for whatever it is you need to sell. Yep, yeah, that will be mine.
1: I had a, when I started at my previous job which was um, at Deloitte I I had a fabulous lady director who told me at the very beginning of my career she was like this is your career and you have to make of it what you want like no one else is going to back you like you'll have people who are sort of supporting you and hoping to see you succeed but at the end of the day you've got to drive it and I don't know that really like resonates with me and sort of still sticks with me I'm kind of like okay you know I've got to I've got to be the one to go and make this happen and I think you know, you're the only one who can sell yourself better than anyone else. So like, that's why you've got to, that's why you've got to back yourself and, and be brave, like Asma said.
2: Great advice, guys. Um, OK, so turning back to the other, other questions that we have, um, how important is it to create an inclusive culture before we hire diverse talent? I think, you know, a, a couple of you mentioned this in your introductions. Um, Eddie would like to expand?
1: I can expand on sort of my point about the sort of the wider culture. I I think it's so important because... Ultimately, if you hire someone on the premise that you are an inclusive business and actually they then join and discover that they're the only woman in in the team or discover that they're the only minority in the whole wider business, unless you are doing something to proactively sort of and affirmatively change that and sort of help them to feel welcomed and help them to feel a part of the team, then they're just going to leave. And so you've then wasted time, wasted money, wasted energy, you know, and that's both ways, you know, that's a waste of their time as well. And so I fundamentally think that, you know, it's so important to to make sure that you are driving these inclusive cultures, be that in, you know, even having sort of, when we were allowed to get together and have drinks and stuff, you know, having events that cater to people who don't want to have an alcoholic beverage or whatever, you know, that it's just something, that a nice opportunity for people to get together. Ditto, you've got to make sure that your benefits are, relevant to women and to men and um, cultural you know if you're giving cultural holidays then make sure that they're not just Christian holidays that they're every religion and, and sort of donation. so yes I think it's super important.
0: Yeah I agree I had a chat uh, sorry Robin oh, go ahead I had a chat to um, one of the um, women senior RPA consultants at Curgent just to get a bit of her perspective. She's relatively young and she's already um, made her way up to senior RPA consultant. And I asked her about, she studied um, a degree in megatronic engineering. So I asked her about her experience in terms of university, then following RPA um, studies, and then her work environment after that and how many women there were or how diverse environments were, and it was quite sad to hear that it was very small. I mean, she was often one of two or three women at university or through her RPA courses, even in a work environment. Um, and we went on to discuss how those working environments were very, even down to how socials were organised, were very, um, they were catered towards the majority, which were often the dudes. So they'd often organize things that um, she wasn't interested in joining in, which meant she was automatically almost a little bit excluded. So she had to, she's incredibly um, tenacious, ambitious girl. So I don't think she let that get her done. But I think it definitely um, has a negative impact on whether women want to go into those careers. And I think she agreed and she says she, she realized that's probably why a lot of women don't go into there because they go, it's not the
3: kind of environment where I'd feel comfortable. So, yeah. No, you're absolutely right, right? And, and in t- the technology industry has been known to have, on average, about 30% females and 70% males. And that can be definitely intimidating. Um, but the reality is, is when com- when companies are more gender diverse, Um, they're likely to perform better by 15%, right? Ethnically diverse companies are more likely to perform by 35%. The numbers, you know, they speak the truth, right? Um, And and the reality is, is the the tech industry as a whole needs, we all need to do better at making sure that we're welcoming more gender uh, diverse talent, ethnically diverse talent. And, you know, we do that by mentoring at a younger age, right? Mentoring high school students, participating in Girl Start programs, women in tech. It needs to kind of start at a younger age. That way it's less intimidating. And that way we can can recruit more diverse talent because it is. It's few and far between right now. Whenever I'm looking for a, you know, for example, a programmer, there's about, goodness, you know, 80%, maybe 90% um men and so we need to get those numbers up so we can start attracting that talent and we do that you know in elementary school <laughs> to make it less intimidating
2: yeah absolutely i think um you made a really interesting point there uh, robin around uh, you know women not even applying for those roles and i think it starts much earlier um and i think you know the Hiring managers and employers out there are, are serious about recruiting more women into their teams, but I think it's all around how do we make sure that those women are applying for those roles. So it touches on a question that we've got here. As a hiring manager, what can I do to encourage and recruit more women actively into my team?
3: I would say the, one of the biggest things is having a diverse interview panel right? So whenever you're interviewing folks, don't have it be all men. Even if you don't say you don't even have a woman on your team, ask another, um, you know, dif- you know, f- whether it be female and, and as well as diverse um, candidates or diverse employees as well, you need to have a diverse panel because that's going to attract that talent.
0: I'd also say your company policies need to be quite inclusive. So if You you know, I think it's a major thing often for women. Um, I know I'm specifically speaking about women and and not disregarding the other groups that need to be included. But specifically for women, if your maternity leave policies are not inclusive, if there isn't allowances made for flexibility in your work hours, because it is often women that have to um, breastfeed or rush kids to school or they're juggling multiple responsibilities, so your policies need to be quite inclusive of those, and I think that would attract more women.
1: Robin also touched on sort of what we did, which is sort of changing the job descriptions to be you know, softer language that actually would appeal to a broader audience, rather than using typically masculine adjectives, verbs, whatever, trying to sort of actually broaden that out and I think that that's definitely a part of it but I also think that there's a real element of technology and specifically the space that we sit which is obviously automation is that there is a a fear that exists that ultimately technology and automation are are just concepts that are so complicated that you know you just can't even get and it's typically very male dominated and typically quite laddie. and you know I think the reality is I'm like as far from being a lad as <laughs> as possible, um, but like you know. Secondly, is the fact that ultimately, you know, these concepts when you break them down, automation is literally, a, a, you know, a digital work of following a process diagram, which, you know, any anyone can can get. You know, and I think what I've tried to prove with our own internal automation team by hiring people who've had no experience prior to joining is that. Really, if you if you want to, you know, you can pick it up and you can learn it very, very easily. And it's not it's not you know something that should be seen as a barrier. And I think we've got more work to do about educating people that actually automation isn't something that you need to be scared of. It's something that you could very easily, you know, get. Um, you just got to have that passion and want to sort of get involved.
0: I think Matt, uh, like some of that made me feel a little uncomfortable because what Robin was saying earlier around kids, being socialized differently quite young. If you heard the word automation or robotic process automation, you should not be intimidated by it. You should not think that I'm not smart enough. It needs to be um, dumbed down so that I can understand it better and I can, I have access to it. I think that's largely the problem is that we shouldn't have to be dumbing down or making things simpler for women to feel that they can do it. Women should be socialized to believe that they can, regardless of how complex it may come across. Just uh, I know we're not there and we, we should we should be there.
1: You know, you're totally you're totally right. I think the real challenge that we have is that there is an anxiety that exists in society generally, never mind just women or indeed men. Like it's it's a, it's an anxiety that we all harbor. Because predominantly Hollywood has put out sort of movies where robots take over the world and, you know, we're all going to die. And I think the reality is that add that on top of sort of the already sort of the complexity and the fear that actually, oh, this is something that I don't know if I can get. And those stats that Carrie said at the beginning that women are typically unlikely to apply for those jobs. You're, you've just got like a cataclysm of, of terribleness, which then prevents even more women kind of going for those types of roles. And. That's where I think that companies like ours have a, have a have a role to sort of help educate and explain that, you know, anyone is able to do this. Anyone's welcome. And that starts at a young age, which I think is kind of what you were alluding to.
0: Yeah. Good
2: stuff, guys. Um, super interesting question that we have um, as part of, of the Q&A at the moment is, How do you stop this just being a tick box exercise and stop managers seeing this as a target exercise, i.e., I need to hire more women so I can achieve my targets?
0: I think that diversity conversations need to happen more regularly in the workplace. So there really needs to be um, an inclusive group of people that are talking about how, if there's a challenge at work where uh, men or women are feeling uncomfortable by the way certain thing was communicated or, or some sort of uncomfortableness, it needs to be spoken about. I, I feel that these conversations are not happening enough at work, so you're not getting to explore and discuss and debate around why is it that um, certain people are feeling excluded. And I know those are uncomfortable conversations and often people think those are the kinds of things that need to stay at home, you have those discussions outside of the workplace, but no, like we're, not, we're not in industrial ages anymore. These are really important, important conversations to have. And I think that's actually what brings teams together. So the manager isn't told that you've got to employ, employ women. The manager understands why he needs to employ a diverse group of people for his team and that he's going to win if he does. So he should automatically understand the rationale behind it without being told. That this is um, something you have to do,
2: Robin, Matt. Any thoughts, or we'll we'll go back to some some other questions.
3: Well, you know, uh, we've I, got lots. Sure, I was just going to add. It's it's definitely important um, to talk about diversity. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's also important to, um, you know, have it's. From a recruiting standpoint, it's also important that recruiters also provide hiring managers with diverse talent, too. And that may also start with posting in different places, right? Um, Posting and, you know, maybe a a WERPA or women in tech or um, a a black professionals group as far as job postings are concerned. Um, So we need to also be mindful of at least I'm speaking from TA, right, we need to be mindful about how we, um, you know, deliver diverse candidates as well.
1: I guess, though, in terms of, like, having those difficult conversations, like, it's entirely right that these conversations are had, because otherwise nothing's ever going to change. And so, you know, be it going and challenging the status quo, be it changing the way that we acquire talent, be it educating younger a diverse groups bringing new talent in i think all of that is so important um and i think we need you know we just got to keep going got to keep doing more otherwise you know the the shift is starting to happen but we need it to happen even more
2: yeah and interestingly i think some people and some organizations actually don't track um you know their progress in terms of um you know how diverse their organizations are for this exact reason they want it to be you know a more natural progression rather than you know meeting quotas and things like that and because it's the right thing to do um any thoughts on that or should we should we go on to some some questions
1: so i feel just very opinionated today um (laughs) i i think that in some ways you need you need to set targets and you need to set yourself a quota because although I understand that it can then at some point become a bit of a tick box exercise, when, when you are already so much the wrong way, you need to bring something like have something to bring yourself back to center. And the way that we and businesses and the economy works is by having metrics and goals to track against. And so naturally (laughs) that's, that is the right way, you know, unfortunately for us to sort of quickly and easily start to change habits. But does it work over the longer term? Mm, you know, that's an argument to be had, but for, for the sort of first, the first bat, I think it's important.
0: Well, interesting enough, in South Africa, we've got a piece of legislation called the Employment Equity Act, and that requires of the private and public sector to meet certain targets, employment equity targets, to rectify and bring and, and be a conduit for previously disadvantaged groups, well, um, what they call designated groups. It includes women, um, as racial groups, as well as dis, uh, people with disabilities. And you've got to meet certain targets and you've got to actually have a plan. And that plan covers things like your recruitment process, everything from where are you posting your ads to ensure that you meet your targets over three to five years. And that has... Yes, it's created a bit of a checkbox uh, mentality, and I think there are positions, it has serious implications if you don't comply. And some positions are sort of frozen indefinitely because the skills are not there to represent the the group that needs to be represented. So there has been adverse um, consequences of it. But largely there's also been great positive consequences as in people are considering and they're actually thinking about how do we include these um designated groups in our uh, in our workplaces. Things like um dis- the disability, employees with disabilities. It's been amazing how offices have been built considering people with disabilities now, but that never happened before. So I at Carrier, I agree. I think that there needs to be some sort of uh, pressure and
3: achieving those goals. Absolutely. If you if you don't know where you're at, how do you know that you can improve, right? So yeah. y- there needs to be some way of just kind of tracking it.
2: Good stuff, guys. All right. Um, so we have a uh, another question that I would love to put to you guys, and that is uh, on most technology company websites. Uh, Virtually all images show young, multicultural, multi-race women and men. This is fashionable and trendy. However, older people are usually absent from images, especially older women, showing stark ageism. How can this be addressed?
3: Um, You know, I think it's an interesting question, right? And um, especially for Blue Prism. Um, right now, there's fairly young folks on here from Blue Prism, however, Blue Prism is a little bit of an older company, right? Um, and I think it's, it's, it's probably not, it's probably a little bit of marketing, I would guess, assume that, hey, let's put all the, you know, young, diverse people in front of, um, to make it attractive to millennials and what have you, right? Uh, I, I think that absolutely we need, you know, people need to start adding more diversity, especially whenever it comes to um, older workers. But um, that—that's a good, yeah, absolutely You're right. <laughs> that's an issue.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot to add other than that. I think it's a really great point, um, and one that I guess as a millennial, <laughs> I hadn't necessarily really even become aware of, and so. Um, yeah i think i think it's a massive thing that we we also need to address Uh, the interesting thing is as robin alluded to though is that the i'd say the average age within blue prism has got to be like mid 40s (laughs) like it's a lot older than many other tech companies ever um so interestingly although maybe the images that are being presented externally are a lot younger internally it's not it's not like that really at all i mean there are obviously younger uh, younger members of team like carrie and myself but um you know, there is a real mix and array of ages. Um, so interesting that that isn't reflected. And whoever called that out, you know, we definitely need to speak to marketing.
0: Um, I think from my, my perspective. <laughs> sorry, Robin.
3: Go ahead. Sorry about that.
0: And uh, um, from my perspective, a lot of the challenges that I hear. In tech companies, specifically with the younger generation, they're great with the technology, they're really not good with project management, communication, um, a process, and, and completing it. So, there are all sorts of challenges around those areas. I don't want to call them softer skills, but because they're they literally the, the core that holds together the technology or the service delivery. And I find that if companies pause to think of how important having a diverse age group is because you then ensure that the older generations who have worked throughout a career have learned the importance of those areas of of work, interpersonal skills and project management and those kinds of things, and those are skills that need to be transferred down over time, you'd realize that that it's important for you to have a diverse range of, of age groups in your organization. And you would then advertise for it.
2: Exactly. Okay. Um, uh, a slightly different sort of question here now, uh, relating more to intelligent automation as as an industry. But what what do you think the the key skills are uh, needed for a career in IA? I know Matt, you touched upon. Uh, the fact that none of your team actually had, you know, experience in tech or experience in RPA and IA before. So, you know, what are the transferable skills that we um, that we have in our industry?
1: It's a really good question. Um, I guess if you've never worked within an automation team, let me explain to you quite high level how it works. So you have someone who will go out and sort of discover the opportunities for automation within the business. And so that's really quite reliant on consultative skills, um, so running workshops and analysis, um, managing difficult stakeholders, um, challenging uh, and you know, that sort of level of um, skill base. Then you've got someone who will then build that opportunity that's been discovered. And so you're then looking at a kind of more technical focus, which is the developers. So we're looking at requirements gathering, you're looking at someone who can literally sort of do the technical coding. A testing mindset so we want someone who you know is is quite logical and able to look at um, the solution and whether it fits the bill and then you've also then got later down the line um, the control which is sort of more of the acute real-time analysis um, checking and sort of communication again to flag if there's any issues which also means sort of instant management crisis control the lot so what you can see is that there's a real breadth of um, skill base that I kind of hire people who have anything along that spectrum and sort of will train them up across the sort of the areas that we have. And so like like I was alluding to at the beginning, a couple of people in my team have engineering backgrounds. So they're quite technically focused. They're able to think very logically, map out processes. But then I've got people from humanitarian degrees and they're a lot more people focused and kind of as Asma was saying, more of the softer skills, you know, the people management, the ability to, lead a workshop, be engaging. um, And then you've got some people who did more sort of mathematical degrees um, or, you know, mathematical sort of diplomas, that kind of thing. um, And they would be more focused in our control room. So honestly, the skill base, if you have, I feel like if you have a skill that sort of fits anywhere within project management, development, um, or indeed sort of analysis, the, there's a whole array that you could fit into. And, and so I wouldn't say that there is like a prescribed, you know, perfect fit. Uh, ideally, I want someone who has a little bit of everything and then we can kind of hone in.
3: Absolutely. That's and, and we have, you know, several positions. Right. So it just kind of depends on your skill set. So, for example, customer success. Um, if you have a background with, you know, dealing with customers and what have you, um, depending on your background, your technical skill set. If you have a background, say, with Azure, um, so it it really kind of depends on what you're looking for as far as a, you know, a, a position. Um, but most of the skills can be transferable. It's not necessarily that you have to be in automation to get into automation.
2: Okay, great. Um, so I think we've got time for maybe just a couple more questions. Um, and the next one is, um, how can we encourage women and men to apply for roles where they might feel excluded from based on their gender, e.g. women in R&D, not HR, and men in marketing and not sales?
1: I again would say it's to do with the wider company culture and what is it that you are putting out into the world. So I guess if you are a CEO or you're running a company and you want to attract people from outside of your typical box of hire- hirees, then what like what does your messaging say about you? Like Is it very masculine or is it very feminine? And are you then putting off other people? So if I went to a website and it was maybe very pink and they spoke about how you know there were all these great perks for fashion and makeup and something I probably would be less inclined to apply because it's not necessarily something I want and the exact same would be you know typically where there's a lot of men in a workplace and there's lots of discount on gyms and sporting activities and you know typically more masculine things which not to say that a woman wouldn't enjoy that but it's not necessarily going to get your heart racing and go oh my god i want to work there so it's about sort of making sure that you're really ensuring that everything that you're putting out fits this this ideal and so from an employer perspective i would say that's probably what i would suggest
0: I think the essence of a lot of traditional roles have changed quite a lot, especially in HR. HR is my background. I think HR back in the day used to be quite the mother of the organization, the nurturer, the, like, listen to everybody's problems and, you know, be a shoulder to cry on. And HR has changed dramatically. It's it's not about that anymore. It's really about being a, a thinking partner in an organization. It's very um, data-driven decision-making. So, um, exposing those aspects of hr that would include a diverse group of people's interests i think there probably a lot more men would be interested in hr now as well because it's not so um such a nanny role anymore and i think the same with sales i mean sales isn't picking up a call on the phone and cold calling people or pitching up at their doors there's there's a lot more to it and that could include a diverse group so i really think it is about how you sell the role and how you highlight the the various aspects that can include a a broader group of people
2: definitely um, and there's there's one comment i think that um, relates to this slightly um, in in the q and a um, they say that in an interview, men tend to say uh, what they can or could do uh, without the experience, whereas women tend to talk about the things that they have done and, you know, things that they've got the experience in. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting comment. So thank you for for whoever popped that one into the into the chat. Um so I think we've just got time for one more question. And I think. The the last one we will ask is, as a woman, is there a way that I can make my CV slash resume stand out so I am just as competitive on paper
3: as my male counterparts? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, The key is a few tips. Um, One, you want to make sure that your resume has specific keywords right? That's going to be very important. If you have, you know, project management, if you have, you know, specific skill sets that are called out in a variety of job descriptions, it's important to make sure your resume has those keywords. Because whenever we're doing keyword searches, your resume will pop up either on LinkedIn or, you know, whatever database you met, your resume may be in. Number two, I would actually recommend having, like a previously, have multiple resumes. If you're going to apply for a project management position, make sure that that's customized to that. If you're going to apply for even an HR position, make sure it's, you know, your your skills are transferable, obviously, but make sure you have multiple resumes. But the keyword search is going to be important whenever we're sourcing in LinkedIn. So just just always remember that.
2: great thanks robin okay any any final thoughts or comments from the panelists before we wrap up for today
1: i guess my final thing will be just about automation generally and i I think you know if you're sat there going i really want to work in automation but i i'm I'm scared of, of sort of applying or i'm scared about what it will mean for the world i think think about you know, you as a, as a child, like, did you ever sit there and dream about doing admin and like repetitive, boring tasks? Like you probably didn't. And so this is where automation plays, you know, it's it's here to help make our lives a little bit better. And that is irrespective of your gender, you know, man or woman. And so also the people who are involved in making it are, are equally, it's irrespective. You can be a man or a woman and, you know, particularly within my team, but I know that in the wider business, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, if you've got a good idea and you've got a good attitude and you're someone who's gonna get stuff done, then we wanna hear you and see you and meet you and hire you. So um, don't, you know, don't be your own worst enemy, be your own best friend, back yourself and just go for it. And it's okay
3: to brag about yourself. It's okay. And if you've, you know, if you've been able to reduce, you know, spending by X amount or save the company X amount, put that in your resume and make sure that, you know, you talk about it whenever you're interviewing. It's okay to brag. This is your time to do so.
0: Yeah, I think from my, from, from my perspective, sorry, I like goes off. Um, from my perspective, we definitely need more role models in the tech space, female role models. In the South African context, there are so few and far between. Um, we have a, a, an, an absolutely inspiring woman called Aisha Pandor, and she started um, um, a house cleaning application called Sweep South. And she's the co founder and the CEO of this tech-based company that is doing phenomenal in South Africa and I think she really inspired and she's everywhere. She's on LinkedIn, she's in webinars and she's just inspired so many people, so many women to believe that um, I can do that too. And the more of that we see, the more young girls and not even just young girls, anyone believes that they can. So I think these are really important conversations to have, as uncomfortable and tiresome as they can be, because we're always having them, we have to have them. So, yeah, so thanks for, for bringing up the topic for us to discuss.
2: Awesome. Well, that brings us to a close of our QA today. So, apologies if we didn't get around to answer your question, um, but please feel free to reach out to us individually if you would like us to follow up further. Um, So I'd like to thank Asma, Robin and Matt for joining us today and thank you to our audience for participating Um, and thank you for all of your questions. We look forward to um, hosting our next webinar which is going to be in October and that's going to be all around getting into the industry and which roles to look out for and the various different roles that we have. Um, So thank you again for everyone for joining. Please follow us on LinkedIn and join us on the community for for us all to have a continued discussion. And we hope you have a good rest of your day, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you very
3: much.